0: Welcome to Doc Talks brought to you from Nerdworks Media. Hi everyone. Now I know you might be thinking, this doesn't sound like Doc. If you're on the stream, this doesn't look like Doc. What's going on? Well, Doc is taking a little bit of time and we're gonna. Go ahead and continue the conversation with one of the coolest classes, monks. My first character was a monk, so I'm really excited to talk about this with you. And uh, if you have a problem with that, um, I need to do something that kind of suits me. What, what, okay. Okay. Uh, If you have a problem with that, let me convince you with this. Let's talk about monks, baby. Let's talk about you, Zinky. Let's talk about all the attacks that you'll make with your flurry. Let's talk about monks, hiya. Let's talk about monks a little bit, a little bit. I love monks. Uh, So if the bard is the class that literally has the jack-of-all-trades trait and it can do anything as far as a caster is concerned, I think monks are the bards of the martial combats. Uh, I personally played a shadow monk, which Doc covered in the last episode. Or, well, no. Going to. Ooh. We're going to have to work on that. Point is, I played a shadow monk. uh, But that's not what we're going to lean into today. We're going to look more into the different types of uh, monks as far as um, for what we're talking about specifically. Uh, we want to try and hit the way of the four elements and the drunken master monks today. We're going to see if we can hit those. Um, but as we do every time on doc talks or doc does every time in doc talk talks and then the one time that we have nerd talks. Hi, I'm nerd. Um, what we're going to talk about at the very beginning is this is the stuff that hits all monks. All monks get these traits level one through 20, hit those real fast. Um, again, Saving throws are strength and dexterity, you have a D8 as your hit die, uh, weapons, simple weapons, short swords, and a whole bunch of things that qualify as monk weapons for you, a whole bunch of different skills, etc. Key, pop, 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 indeed. Uh, so, first thing that you get at level 1, unarmored defense. You don't have to wear armor, as long as you're not wearing a shield or armor, your AC equals 10, plus your dex, plus your wisdom, so... Monks are very uh, multiple attribute dependent. They are mad uh, because you want to have good dexterity. You want to have good wisdom and probably good con as well. You want to be able to uh, round out uh, all the things that you can do with monks. Uh, Martial arts at level one. Basically, you can use your dext instead of your strength for making unarm attacked. And your weapon die changes as you level up in this class. It starts off... As a D4. At level 5 it goes to a D6. At level 11 it goes to a D8. And then at level 17. It goes to a D10. You also get Ki. Not Kai. Ki. This is essentially. I like to think of it as like your stamina bar. In video games. This is your ability. To do special things. As a monk. This is what separates you from being a fighter. This is what separates you from being a rogue. You have this pool, almost like sorcery points or spell slots for every other class, that is dependent on how high your monk level is. Starting at level 2, you get one per level. So at level 2, you have two, then three at three, four at four, etc., etc., etc. And you can use these for a bunch of different things depending on your monk class, but as a traditional monk, every monk, you can use Flurry of Blows immediately after you take the attack sh- action on your turn. You can spend one key point to make two unarmed attack strikes as a bonus action. Patient Defense, you can spend one key point to take the dodge action as a bonus action on your turn. And Step of the Wind, you can spend one key point to take the disengage or dash action as a bonus action on your turn. And your jump distance is doubled for the rest of your turn. Down. Hi, I've got Docs. Also, that'll be something fun for Doc to edit for me. Uh, Also at level 2, unarmored movement. Starting at second level, your speed increases by 10 feet while you're not wearing armor or wielding a shield. This bonus increases when you reach certain monk levels, as shown on the monk table. So again, starting at level 2, it goes up by 10 feet. At level 6, it goes up to 15 feet. At level 10, it goes up to 20 feet. 14, 25 feet. 18, 30 feet monks are the flash they are all about moving quickly all the time being able to basically be wherever they need to be they are the pinnacle of essentially mobility and the human form that's kind of their whole thing um also at level three you get to pick your monistic uh Tradition, we're going to go into a couple of those. You get to deflect missiles, which is one of the coolest abilities that we don't see nearly enough. Uh, You can use reaction to deflect or catch a missile when you are hit by a ranged weapon attack. The damage you take from the attack is reduced by 1d10 plus your dexterity modifier plus your monk level. Okay? So here's the thing. That gets obscene. Because a d10... Whatever. Whatever. Dexterity traditionally is going to be pretty high for a monk, you know, somewhere between 2 and 5, depending on what you're doing, you know, normally. Plus your monk level, which is already going to be at 3 by the time you get this. So a 1d10 plus 5 around minimum means that there's a lot of attacks that you're just going to negate. And if you reduce the damage to 0, you can catch the missile, if it's not enough for you to catch it and hold in one hand, and you have a hand free. And you can spend a key point to throw it back at the thing. And it counts as a weapon attack for you. It comes as a monk weapon. Um, you become proficient, and it's great. Normal range of 20, uh, long range of 60, so that's great. I'm going to catch a Thero and literally whip it back at you. Awesome. Uh, like all classes, you get your ability score improvement at 4th level, but you also get it at 8th, 12th, 16th, and 19th level. So you can get your feats, you can get your... Ability support, improvements, everything along those lines. You also get slow fall. Beginning at 4th level, you can use your reaction when you fall to reduce the amount of falling damage you take by an amount equal to 5 times your monk level. That's insane. At level 4, you can reduce falling damage by 20. That's a lot of D6s to be rolling before you have to worry about it whatsoever. Uh, Average of 3.5 on a D6 means that you're going hmm, 10 deep. Nah, a little bit less than that. You can fall basically 60 feet comfortably. That's insane. Um, You get your extra attack at 5th level, where you can attack twice instead of once whenever you take the attack action. You also get Stunning Strike, one of the more more key key features uh, of a monk. Starting at 5th level, you can interfere with the flow of ki in an opponent's body. Whenever you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you can spend 1 ki point to attempt a stunning strike. The target must succeed on a constitution saving throw or be stunned until the end of your next turn. Here's the main factor here. Stunned is awesome. Stunned is going to make something to where it's incapacitated, you get advantage on attacks against it, and it's stunned until the end of your next turn. That's a full round of combat for you to do things also opportunity attacks because it's just when you hit with a melee weapon attack. So you can stun something on its turn and it becomes stunned until the end of your next turn. Great interrupting. Part of the reason why monks are a DM's nightmare. Uh, most of the time key empowered strikes starting at sixth level, your unarmed strikes count as magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance immunity um, resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks and damage. You, You are a magic weapon. That's what that turns into. You are a magic weapon. It doesn't matter what you're attacking. You count as a magic weapon. That's ridiculous. Uh, Evasion. This is something that rogues get and is awesome. Monks get it too. Uh, At 7th level, your instinctive ability lets you dodge out of the way of certain area of effects, such as a blue dragon's lightning breath or a fireball spell. When you are subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw to take only half damage, So it's very specifically Dexterity Saving Throw, where you can take half damage. You instead take no damage if you succeed on the saving throw, and only half damage if you fail. Stillness of Mind, starting at 7th level, you can use your action to end one effect on yourself that's causing you to be charmed or frightened. I don't think this ability gets nearly enough credit, because a lot of people think, oh well it uses my action. Well, think about the fact that you couldn't do anything to begin with some of these effects you get to make a save at the end of your turn right well this is an action you can just do that that's amazing it doesn't work in every sense but this is pretty great right uh we have purity of body so at 10th level your mastery of the key flowing through you makes you immune to all disease and poison again another one of those features that it kind of depends on your dm and the campaign that you're in, or the one-shot that you're in, or something along those lines. But just knowing that you're always going to be healthy, you're always going to be at your peak, is pretty uh, helpful. And I did skip it because it's part of the unarmed movement. But at ninth level, you gain the ability to move across vertical surfaces and across liquids on your turn without falling during the move. So basically, as long as you're not ending your turn in a position where gravity or physics doesn't work you're fine. Run across water, just make sure you get to the other side. Run across a wall, just make sure that you get to the other side. It's insane, and I love it. Uh, Another underrated ability, Tongue of the Sun and Moon. At 13th level, you learn to touch the key of other minds, so you understand all spoken languages. Moreover, any creature that can understand a language can understand what you say. You can speak to everything. And everything can speak to you. This is permanent tongues. This would be a really, really impressive item. And you just have it as a feature. Uh, even worse. Hi, everybody. Uh, even worse. And I say that because I've DM'd some monks and holy cow. Uh, beginning at 14th level, Diamond Soul. Your mastery of key grants you proficiency in all saving throws. So let's keep in mind at level 14. You have a proficiency bonus as 5, which means you're adding 5 to every every saving throw you have, other than strength and dexterity, because you've already had that. Monks are ridiculous. Um, Timeless body at level 15. Your ki sustains you, so you suffer none of the fragility uh, of old age, and you can't age magically. You can still die of old age. However... You're, you're fine. Uh, you want to be a level 80 monk and go for it? Feel free. You're going to be fine, as long as you're getting the timeless body early enough. Um, also, you no longer need food or water. You just sustain yourself with yourself, which is ridiculous. Empty body, beginning at 18th level, you can use your action to spend four key points to become invisible for one minute. Uh, during that time, you have resistance to all damage but force damage. insane. And you can also spend 8 key points to cast the Astral Projection spell without the need of material components. When you do so, you can't take any other creatures with you. So, you have the ability to transcend this plane. You literally, you, you essentially meditate into another form of existence. We ran through that pretty fast because it's already been said before. Go back and listen to the other Monk episode that's already been done. Or when Doc comes back, you can listen to it again. But what we want to do now is we want to dive into a couple of these archetypes, these subclasses that you can be of monks. And I'm pretty excited because the first one we get to do is one I've been playing around with. I'm trying to make it work. Uh, Way of the Drunken Master. So the Way of the Drunken Master, directly from the book here... The way of the drunken master teaches its students to move forward with the jerky, unpredictable movements of a drunkard. A drunken master sways, tottering on unsteady feet to present what seems like an incompetent combatant who proves frustrating to engage. The drunken master's erratic stumbles conceal a carefully executed dance of blocks, parries, advances, attacks, and retreats. A drunken master often enjoys playing the fool to bring gladness to the despondent or to demonstrate humility to the arrogant. But when the battle is joined, the drunken master can be a maddening, masterful foe. This entire build and archetype just screams flavor. Right? You are basically trying to be as unconventional as possible to throw everybody off while being a master of the unconventional. So let's talk about the different features you get. At level 3, you get bonus proficiencies and drunken technique. At level 6, you get tipsy sway. At level 11, drunkard's luck. And at level 17, intoxicated frenzy. Let's go ahead and take a look at all these, okay? So, bonus proficiencies... When you choose this tradition at 3rd level, you gain proficiency in the performance skill if you don't already have it. Your martial arts techniques mixes a mixes combat training, eh, excuse me. Your martial arts technique mixes combat training with the precision of a dancer and the antics of a jester. You also gain proficiency with brewer supplies if you don't already have it. So, it makes sense. You're performing this unconventional show that also has a lot of martial art to it. So you gain proficiency in in performance. You know, it just makes sense. Drunken technique. At third level, you learn how to twist and turn quickly as part of your flurry of blows. Whenever you use the flurry of blows, you gain the benefit of a disengage action, and your walking speed increases by 10 feet until the end of the current turn. So this is kind of reckless, um, as far as I'm concerned, because it's insane. You literally get to attack. And at higher levels, attack and then attack. You use your bonus action to flurry of blows, get two more punches off, get two more unarmed strikes. And then with that, you are already a character and a player that has more movement speed than you normally would because of your unarmored movement. Now we're going to increase that by another 10. And you get a free disengage. No other character gets to do this amount of stuff on one turn without the benefit of some kind of spell cast on them, some kind of haste spell, or something that gives them additional action economy. So you're capable of making four attacks and disengaging without any kind of issue, without having defeat, without having to do anything. And it costs you one key point. Insane. Tipsy Sway, starting at 6th level. You can move in sudden, swaying ways. You gain the following benefits. Leap to your feet. When you're prone, you can stand up by spending 5, minute, five feet of movement rather than half your speed. I like to think of this as the, uh, you know, falls down and just kind of rolls into it to get back up uh, instead of just falling flat. Just kind of, I'm going with it and standing right back up, which is great. Or redirect attack. Whenever a creature misses you with a melee attack roll, you can spend one key point as a reaction to cause that attack to hit one creature of your choice other than the attacker that you can see within 5 feet of you. So here's the main point here. It doesn't say that they have to roll a new attack roll. So if something misses you, you can spend one key point for it to hit something else within 5 feet. The end. So if that's something terrifying, it doesn't say there's no save, there's no anything. If it's next to you, you're doing great. So this is one of those monks that does well when surrounded. And we'll get into a little bit more of that here uh, pretty soon. But at level 11, we're going to start with Drunkard's Luck. Starting at level 11, you always seem to get a lucky bounce at the right moment. When you make an ability check, an attack roll, or a saving throw, and have disadvantage on the roll, you can spend two key points to cancel the disadvantage on that roll. You can make yourself immune to disadvantage. If you have the key points, disadvantage doesn't affect you. Disadvantage is one of the more troubling things that you can have in Dungeons & Dragons as a player. And you can just outright say, you know what, I'd rather not. Two key points, bye. I'm good. Doesn't say until short rest. Doesn't say... It doesn't say anything along those lines. It's your amount of times that you can do this are equal to the amount of key points that you have. It takes two each time. Sick. Then at 17th level, we have Intoxicated Frenzy. At 17th level, you gain the ability to make an overwhelming number of attacks against a group of enemies. When you use your Flurry of Blows you can make up to three additional attacks with it. And it even puts in parentheses, because people would look at that and say, so wait, how many is... Up to a total of five Flurry of Blows attacks, provided that each Flurry of Blows attacks a different target this turn. So this means, given the situation, you could do... Seven attacks, as long as you have five targets, and you get ten feet worth of extra movement, and you get a disengage. So as you're punching, as you're kicking, as you are Drunken Master, tipsy-swaying all over the place, you are not getting opportunity attacks. You are hitting things, moving. It's literally a shake and move. Bop! Bop! Move, bop, turn, bop. Look like I'm falling down, but I'm actually rolling to kick this person. When you talk about doing dope monk stuff, that's what we're talking about, right? That's where you're getting into the, oh, yes, please. I want to do all of the cool things. Um, It is one of those classes that I think a lot of people have a hard time playing monks because they get stuck In this, oh, a monk has to be at this monastery. Oh, a monk has... You got to talk to your DM about it. Let's be real. Whatever your DM says, as far as a story that works, hopefully they're willing to make it work with you. If if they're the kind of DM that says, no, no monks because monks don't exist here, whatever, fine. But if you can make it work, you can absolutely just make a, I'm going to make a monk whose entire thing is that they're a drunkard and they've been in lots of bar fights. Great. Or, you can go really serious with this, because this is a form that existed. And, to the best of my knowledge, still could exist. The point is, is that you have so much flavor opportunity, and so many things that you can do with this archetype. That is really cool. And that said, we're going to move away from it, and we're going to go into what is... Doc might get mad at me for saying this. Um, we're going to go into what is, what I consider the ranger of archetypes. In that it was really cool in theory. And then me being the power
1: gamer, efficient ah,
0: guy that I am, I, it, it just fell short. But it still has so much flavor and so much cool stuff that it's still absolutely worth playing. Because monks aren't that Cool. Keep in mind that if you had no abilities with the archetypes at all, with the way of monistic traditions, everything along those lines, if you had nothing, a monk would be an interesting rogue. Now we're going to add all these archetypes. And that's kind of where I'm at. Let's talk about the way of the four elements. Let's talk about uh, playing the avatar. Because that's what we're doing here. <laughs> um You follow the monistic tradition that teaches you to harness the elements. When you focus your ki, you can align yourselves with the forces of creation and bend the four elements to your will, using them as an extension of your body. Some members of this tradition dedicate themselves to a single element, but others weave the elements together. Many monks of this this tradition tattoo their bodies with representations of their key powers, commonly ingrained as coiling dragons, but also phoenixes, fish, plants, mountains, and cresting waves. You can go so many different ways with monk in all of the archetypes. And in this one, in Way of the Four Elements... There are so many different ways that people can go, but I mean, let's be real. You get to make an avatar, right? You get to, I I am Aang now. I am Korra. I am the next avatar. Like, right, exactly. It is the last airbender. You can do a bunch of different flavor things, but you're a bender. Like it's, 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 it's where it comes from. It's great. Um, So let's talk about the different things that you get from it, Uh, starting with Disciple of the Elements. All right? So it works a little bit different than all of the other monastic uh, traditions because this isn't, oh, you get this at this level and this at this level. You basically get to pick things at certain levels, almost like spells as a monk. So think of it kind of like a half-caster or a a third-caster. Uh, like you would uh, like a paladin or something along those lines. So, when you choose this tradition at third level, you learn the magical disciplines that harness the power of the four elements. A discipline requires you to spend key points each time you use it. You know the elemental attunement discipline and one other element... Sorry, you know the elemental discipline and one other elemental discipline of your choice, which are detailed in the elemental discipline sections below. You learn an additional one, at 6th, 11th, and 17th level. So a total of five. You know, one, and additional one at 3rd level. You get another one at 6th, another one at 11th, and another one at 17th. So there you go. Casting elemental spells. Some elemental disciplines allow you to cast spells. See Chapter 10 for the general rules of spellcasting. To cast one of these spells, you use the casting time and other rules, but you don't need to provide material components for it. Some of these are going to be very relevant. A lot of them aren't. Because you're going to be casting them as part of doing everything else that you're doing. Once you reach 5th level in this class, you can spend additional key points to increase the level of an elemental discipline skill that you cast, provided the spell has an enhanced effect at a higher level, as Burning Hands does. The spell's level increases by 1 for each additional key point that you spend. For example... If you're a 5th level monk and you use Sweeping Cinder Strike to cast Burning Hands, you can spend 3 points to cast it as a 2nd level spell. Because the base cost for the actual use is 2. So, using 1 more, 3, gets you 1 more additional slot. It's very, it's a very wordy way to say, when you use any of these abilities that allows you to cast a spell, if you use additional points, you can cast it at a higher level. The end. The maximum number of key points you can use to cast in a spell this way, including its base key point cost and the additional key points you spend to increase its level, is determined by your monk level as shown in the spell and key points level uh, table. So here, I have it. You don't have it. haha. <laughs> Unless you're reading in the book. We're on page 80. Spells and key points. At monk levels 5 through 8, you can spend a maximum of 3 key points for a spell a Monk spell, a Monk Elemental Discipline ability. Three. At levels 9 through 12, that goes to 4. At levels 13 to 16, that goes to 5. At levels 17 to 20, that goes to 6. I think the principal reason for doing this is so you couldn't get a Monk at 5th level to get an ability and cast a spell at a ridiculous level, right? Right? Uh, on level five i'm going to use this thing for two, and then i'm gonna put three more points into it, so i 'm casting it at level four. That can be a little insane. You basically give a class that has resource management and all these other abilities that they can twist and turn to what they wanna do, and you make it to where they could cast spells at a higher level than casters of that level so i get the I get the preface here as far as you know there has to be a resource cost as well as a limit to what you can do per level. So, then we get into all of the elemental disciplines. Take a deep breath, breathe in, because we got a few to talk about. So, the elemental disciplines are presented in alphabetical order. If the discipline requires a level, you must be at that level to learn the discipline. Okay? So, we're going to go through this as best as we possibly can. Uh, Breath of Winter. You want to do a commercial now? Uh, We can do a commercial now. I'm fine with that. All right. So, uh, give me... That's fair. That's fair. Good call, Doc. Um, We're going to take a quick break here because I am going to get some water and uh, we're going to come back to a whole bunch of the stuff that we do here.
1: It has been 300 years since the Great Rupture. And now magical energy known as mana flows through all of creation, through all people, through all rocks and trees, through the very land itself, through the water that surrounds us and the sky above us. Many have used their own mana to create magnificent realities and to change and shape this world of Toral. Some could not handle the mana flowing through their veins and it is torn at their very soul. Many people are seeking a way to reverse the effects of being mana torn, but to no avail. Here in the shadow of the Empire, created by the peace treaty between the humans and orcs, you have a chance to shape your destiny. What will you do with the mana flowing through your veins? What paths will you follow? What trails will you blaze? The choice is completely yours. Come to the magical land of Tural and decide your destiny. Hi, I'm back.
0: Did you like how we had to go? Because <laughs> I wanted to get the relevant stuff that we were talking about, you know? I wanted to get Doc Talks and the Rupture People. Shout out to the Rapture people. How are we doing, everybody? Let's move on to the elemental disciplines that you can pick as a way of the four elements, Monk. These, again, are all completely out of order, right? But the first thing that we are going to do is we are going to pick uh, elemental attunement. We're going to go ABC order after we do elemental attunement because that is one that you get automatically when we are talking about the Way of the Four Elements monk. So, you can use your action to briefly control elemental forces within 30 feet of you, causing one of the following effects of your choice. You can create a harmless, instantaneously sensory effect related to air, earth, fire, or water, such as a shower of sparks, a puff of wind, a spray of light mist, or a gentle rumbling of stone. You can instantaneously light or snuff out a candle or a torch or a small campfire. You can chill up or warm up to one pound of non living material for up to one hour. Or you can cause earth, fire, water, or mist that can fit within a one foot cube to shape itself into a crude form you designate for one minute. It's prestidigitation. You get monk prestidigitation with the elements, you get druid craft with the elements, as a monk. This is this is a... As far as this class is concerned, this is the parlor trick to show that you have control of the elements and in some ways flavor it up and in some ways to be able to do something somewhat useful with it in real game mechanics at the same time. So that's one that you get no matter what. Okay? Uh, we're going to go in alphabetical order... You know what? No, we're not. We're going to do this in the best way that we possibly can. We're going to start with the ones that you can get at level three when you first take this class. And then we're going to see if we can't bump ourselves up, which means there's a decent chance I miss one of these. And then Doc gets to correct me on the next one, which means he has to listen to all of this. (laughs) Moving on. First one that we see is Fangs of the Fire Snake. When you use the attack action on your turn, you can spend one key point to cause tendrils of flame to stretch out from your fists and feet. Your reach with your unarmed strikes increases by 10 feet for that action, as well as the rest of the turn. A hit with such an attack deals fire damage instead of bludgeoning. And if you spend one key point when the attack hits, it also deals an extra 1d10 fire damage. This is ridiculous. So giving yourself an additional 10 feet, or giving, yeah, it increases by 10 feet. Okay, great. So giving yourself that far, I mean, essentially that means that if something is within 15 feet of you, you can hit it, Add that, or if you can get within 15 feet. Point is, regardless, that's cool. Turning things into fire damage with these tendrils of flame from your fists and feet, because feet on arm strikes, it's very cool attacking those. Great. Costs you 1 point to do that for all of your attacks for the turn. So, two attacks, three attacks, four attacks if you're using a flurry of blip, all of this stuff. 1 point. And if you hit, you can spend a key point to do an extra 1d10 of fire damage. This is a smite. <laughs> this is this is a fire version <laughs> an avatar airbender Firebender, I'll, this is a version of Smite because you get to decide on a hit to use an extra key point, use an extra resource to do an extra d10 of damage. That's damage that would double because that's the way I would play it. If I crit, if I had a player crit and they used a key point to give themselves another d10 of damage, well, double the dice. Pretty insane. Pretty insane. It's, I, I, again, I, I know what I said. It's one of those things where you can do really cool stuff and I think it gets a bad rap because the real thing is if it was just that and you were a monk, you'd still be like a really interesting, weird rogue fist of the four thunders. You can spend two key points to cast thunder wave, thunder Wave's a spell constitution save, do, do some damage, push things away from you in a 20 foot cube based off of you. Awesome. Cool. Fist of Unbroken Air. You can create a blast of compressed air that strikes like a mighty fist. As an action, you can spend two key points and choose a creature within 30 feet of you. That creature must make a strength savings throw. On a failed save, the creature takes 3d10 bludgeoning damage, plus an extra 1d10 bludgeoning damage for each additional key point you spend, and you can push the creature up to 20 feet away from you and knock it prone. On a successful save, the creature takes half as much damage, and you don't push it or knock it prone. So, at level 3, this is... I mean, first of all, this is a Hadoken. Like, this is you, big puff of air, Ryu, Street Fighter, Hadoken, and throwing this compressed ball of air at an enemy. They make a strength save. You can do... It within 30 feet, they make a strength save. 3d10... You can do an additional D10 for each key point that you put into it at fifth level. You can only use an additional, or you can only use a max of three. So starting at the time that you get this, you can use all three key points available to you at that point to just four D10, push something away from you, 20 feet, knock it prone. That's, That's great. Cool. Uh, Rush of the Gale Spirits. You can spend two key points to cast Gust of Wind. Literally, move things away, clear clouds, do a whole bunch of stuff. Gust of Wind is pretty interesting. We do like it. Shape the Flowing Water. As an action, you can spend one key point to choose an area of ice or water no larger than 30 feet on a side within 120 feet of you. A lot of math, a lot of physics, but... You can change water to ice within the area and vice versa. You can choose to reshape the ice in the area in any manner you choose. You can raise or lower the ice's elevation, create or fill a trench, erect or flatten a wall, or form a pillar. The extent of any such changes can't exceed half the area's largest dimension. For example, if you affect a 30-foot square, you can create a pillar up to 15 feet high, Razor lower the square's elevation by up to 15 feet, dig a trench up to 15 feet deep, and so on. You can't shake the ice to trap or damage a creature in an area. Great. So, point is, you get to reshape water. And you can freeze it or unfreeze it, depending on what you're dealing with. You can't make it change form to a point where it is bigger on any side than it started. Great. Cool flavor. Cool to be a couple, to cool, do, eh, excuse me, cool to do a couple of things, uh, and we like it. Sure, cool flavor, sounds fun. The Sweeping Cinder Strike. You can spend two key points to cast Burning Hands. First level spell, deck save for everything in front of you, take some damage, plus you can put more points into it to do more damage as a higher level spell if you so choose. Last one here for the ones that you can get at first level Water Whip. You can spend two key points as an action to create a whip of water that shoves and pulls creatures, pulls a creature to imbalance it. A creature that you can see that is within 30 feet of you must make a dexterity saving throw. On a failed save, the creature takes 3d10 bludgeoning damage plus an extra 1d10 bludgeoning damage for each additional key point you spend. And you can either knock it prone or pull it up to 25 feet closer to you. On a successful save, the creature takes half as much damage and you don't pull it or knock it prone. So, this is the opposite of what we were doing with the Fangs of the Fire Snake. We're not pumping additional damage into it. This is a one ability action use to knock a creature down and pull it. Now, technically, this also doesn't count as an attack. So, theoretically, we couldn't. Rules as written. So, you have to talk to your DM about this. Rules as written you get to do your bonus action martial arts attacks as part of your attack action. This is not your attack action. This is you using your action to make this whip with your water bending awesomeness and bring a creature closer to you, knock it prone, either way, pretty cool. Moving on to the abilities that you get at later levels. We'll start at level 6 here. Uh, clench of the north wind Uh, this is 6 level requirement you can spend 3 points uh, 3 key points to cast hold person this is a level 2 spell and is nuts Um, that's that's an action, great, this thing is held on my next turn if it's still held that's a lot of crits that you're going to get as a monk using multiple attacks and giving yourself multiple attacks on top of that, pretty solid Uh, Gong of the Summit, 6th level requirement, you can use 3 points to cast Shatter, again, pretty cool spell, it has a lot of good uses, love it, kaboom, let's do this. (sighs) Moving on to 11th level, because those are the only ones that you can add at 6th level specifically, you can add some of the previous ones, but those are the ones that require you to be level 6 or higher. So let's go to the ones that require you to be level 11 or higher. Flames of the Phoenix, 11th level required. You can spend four key points to cast Fireball. It, it's a wizard meme as far as, I, what do you do in this situation? I cast Fireball. When are you doing? I cast Fireball. Did you hear me? I did not ask how big the room was. I said I cast Fireball. At 11th level, you have 11 key points. That's nearly three Fireballs. Ding. Misstance at... Uh, 11th level, you can spend four key points to cast Gaseous Form, targeting yourself. Really good for being able to get around, really good for being unseen, really good for making an escape. You move slow, but you're pretty hard to mess with. Ride the Wind. At 11th level, you can spend four key points to cast Fly, targeting yourself. Well, if a monk wasn't mobile enough before, now you can Fly. There you go. Now let's go ahead and end everything with our 17th requirements, our 17th level abilities. Uh, You can spend 6 key points to cast Cone of Cold when you use Breath of Winter. 6 key points for Cone of Cold, that is a lot. That's also a really wide range spell. It does a lot of damage. 60 foot cone, 8d8 I believe, It's, it's insane. From there, you can also do Eternal Mountain Defense. 17th level, you can spend five key points to cast Stone Skin, targeting yourself. Resistance to non-magical, I believe, uh, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. So, pretty good off that. River of Hungry Flame. 17th level, you can spend five key points to cast Wall of Fire. Again, pretty good spell. You know, it's one of those spells that wizards or sorcerers or whoever get and keep. The entire campaign, because it has a lot of utility. And speaking of walls, uh, wave of rolling earth, 17th level required. You can spend six key points to cast Wall of Stone. So there's a lot of utility that you can do with this. The main complaint on this build, as far as what I've heard and what I've seen, is for you to do any of these abilities, it requires a decent amount of your key points to use the higher level abilities, to use the cooler things. It takes a long time to get there, etc, etc, etc. Well, think of it this way. If you multi-classed into a half-caster, half-martial fighter because you wanted to have this utility and you wanted to do this, dif- these different things and everything like that, you might want to just look into being a monk. And specifically a monk way of the four elements. Because the amount of abilities that you get from just being a monk, and then the special abilities that you can pick from your elemental disciplines to change and twist a couple of things and really flavor how you want this thing to work, go for it. Uh, I'm already running a little bit over, but I hope you all enjoyed this little guest spot from me. Uh, Doc is going to be back, I presume, next week to talk with a couple of more of the monk uh, traditions, probably going to get into Kensei, which is pretty cool. Um, I, as far as I'm concerned, Kensei is just... Kensei is what I think uh, the characters from Kill Bill are. They're all super into the Hattori Hanzo sword, so I think that makes sense to me, but the point is is that they're all pretty neat, and you can really flavor a uh, traditional, oh, my character has a deep connection to their weapon as well as themselves, and I hope that you got a deep connection uh, to Monks, to this channel, to everything that we're doing. Um, stay on here. stay this, Follow this channel. Do the things where you get the alerts whenever we're going live. We talk tabletop RPGs, including D&D, but not exclusive to D&D. Go, and you're going to be able to talk about Rupture RPG and Awesome, awesome character building and storytelling collaborative experience. You're going to be able to see Game Night in just a little bit from now, which is just a tabletop talk talk show. I'm still trying to do my best to say that, but tabletop talk show. There we are. TTRPG show, et cetera. Uh, Lots of video games, one shots, community nights. Go ahead and pop into our Discord. I'm going to pop that in there right now into the chat. We'll also have it in our show notes for the YouTube and for the podcast itself. If you're not listening to the podcast, go ahead and put it on there. We appreciate you. And I appreciate you coming in here and hanging out with me for a little bit. I don't have all of the fancy things that Doc normally has because we kind of figured out exactly what we needed uh, right now. So I'm going to hope this works. And if not, I'm going to come back and you're going to hear me mutter uh, the outro music. But love one another. Stay nerdy and live your dreams. Later. This has been a NerdWorks production.